Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Well, Mark, welcome to another episode of Informed Dissent. Great to be with you again. Hi, Jeff. Uh, as we always try to do, we bring on interesting guests, and uh, today is no different. We got a fantastic guest, and I'll turn it over to you to introduce him. So we have the tactical chaplain, <coughs> Matt Domjancic, who has a incredibly diverse and extensive resume. I'm only going to just touch the surface. So we can actually start talking because he has a lot to say today, and I have a lot of questions for him. Uh, he is a former cop, SWAT officer, and academy instructor. He has had uh, a really wide background of training academically. He has several master's degrees in forensics, <clears throat> sports psychology, theology. He has an amazingly diverse and interesting intersection of interests that includes yoga and meditation, stress management. Um, he's had experience in float chambers. So this guy is into fitness, strength, health, uh, fighting, uh, marksmanship, uh, law enforcement, but he's also very interested in uh, maintaining a really nice balance with the inner and outer world. He's also interested in ministry. He's had a lot of experience in ecumenical, ecumenical ministry, and he does a lot of ride-alongs right now with first responders, um, cops and sheriff's deputies, to help them overcome some of their uh, inner world conflicts. And as a psychiatrist, I understand that quite well since I have a lot of patients with PTSD in my practice. One of the things that I want him to, to speak about and expand on, because it's something that he's going to jump back into, that he had to put on hiatus over the last couple of years, is a nonprofit that he's been, uh, it is in existence, and he's organizing uh, funds for to really help support more of the efforts he's making to assist with uh, first responders who are in need of help, uh, which is one of his primary passions. So with that, I want to welcome Matt Domjancic to our show, Informed Dissent. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Matt, great to, great to have you. I'm, I'm so interested in this title, Tactical Chaplain. Where did that come from? Tell, tell me about that. Well, I started doing these interviews, and then I had no social media or website, and then people were trying to reach out to me, um, and they couldn't find me. So... A couple different friends, including Mark Polymeropoulos, a well-decorated CIA guy, said, hey, we got to buy you a website, and it has to be something that's a catchy name so you can say it on the podcast and people can track you down. So it's basically Tactical Chaplain, so it's catchy and people can remember that to find the website, and also because they thought it creates kind of an interest because the word chaplain has a lot of negative stereotypes, even in the police world where people think it's all about religion. Are you going to be Bible thumping? Are you going to judge me? And things like that. So throw the word tactical in front of it, and maybe people will be curious about what I'm doing. That's about it. I guess it could have been badass chaplain instead. <laughs> well, his email address actually brings that. It's uh, Bushido TNT. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the work you do. What, 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 what exactly do you do for the various law enforcement agencies that you work for? So I try to spend as much time in the trenches with cops. I ride along once a week with, with each department I'm with. I do an additional station visit once a week with those departments. I lift weights at the stations. I observe training. If I get invited, I do go to firearms, DT, uh, EVOC, pit training. So I try to spend a ton of time in the trenches to build relationships with them 
and allowed them to get to know me outside of the initial stigma of you're doing some kind of religious stuff. And then through the relationships, I just try to encourage a more proactive uh, addressing life balance and mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. Because most of the resources, even if departments have them, with mental health professionals, chaplains, or peer support, they're all reactive and they focus on PTSD, addiction, and suicide. But there's a long journey before a cop gets there and not even the majority of cops are dealing with that. Now we do need to deal with that, but if we know that cops have shorter lifespans than any other profession, higher rates of illness and disease related to stress, and do have the problems with addiction and divorce, PTSD and suicide, why are we not giving them swimming lessons throughout their career to know how to grow through this adversity and life balance? So I want officers to be encouraged in their fitness, their nutrition, sleep, stress management, uh, to learn that self-care is not selfish because there's a real stigma of just grind, gut check, push it, work, 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 and that's a badge of, an on, badge of honor, but the more we take care of ourselves, the more we can effectively serve others. I also want them to be more aware of their thoughts and feelings around things because when you're on the job, you cannot stop and reflect on what you're thinking or feeling because you're controlling the scene. But you're seeing, they say anywhere from 188 to up to 800 critical incidents in a police career. And we're taught to stuff it or self-medicate with drinking, sleeping with people you shouldn't sleep with, buy a motorcycle, drive fast, and just unhealthy self-medicating and numbing. So can we destigmatize and normalize paying attention to your thought life, your emotional life, and your spiritual life, as well as take better care of your body, not just fitness, but also the nutrition, the sleep, and dealing with the effects of the stress and trauma that, you know, also your body's absorbing. Well, it seems to me that it's never been more difficult to be a police officer over the last several years with the defund police movement, uh, with the cops are bad movement, with several of these big high profile cases that have been in the media, um, that, that cops are really targeted I think there's been more police deaths uh, in the last few years than we've ever seen, uh, not to mention suicide from cops as well. That's a problem as well as a problem in the military. So how have you how have you seen things change just over the last few years uh, in the line of work that you're doing? The morale is down the tube across the country because when you demonize the everywhere they turn, their kids teachers, their college professors or their kids in college, even the churches and synagogues, everybody jumped on the BLM bandwagon two years ago. Cops are bad. Cops are racist. Most of these major cities or the Democratic ones have district attorneys that are not prosecuting crime and constantly threatening to prosecute the cops. In addition to every time you throw a cop's name in the media, people don't know they and their families are getting death threats and journalists showing up at the house. So you kill proactive policing because why should a cop chase a, car, a stolen car that if that car T-bones somebody, they're going to charge the cop with manslaughter. If you stop the car and there's a use of force incident, they're going to say the cop was racist and investigate them and put them off. Now, if there's no incident and they're in a stolen car with drugs and a gun, they're not even going to jail. They can get a ticket or they get checked in, fingerprinted, and they leave. 
So it's almost like a moral injury, I think, that you're telling cops you can't go arrest bad guys because we're going to charge you with a crime and we're not, you know, doing anything to the criminals. So the only cops I've known that have good morale right now, and it's very few, are if they're cops that are still able to be proactive because their chain of command, you know, supports them. Um, and to be honest, like, that I don't know many places that are doing that. Which agencies are you working for right now? I, I, I can't really say that because I don't have permission to represent them, but I some in the in the South Bay area of Los Angeles and the South LA area. How'd you get into doing this? You went from a, a you know a, a tough guy who enjoyed guns and obviously both your you, you know this is audio, but for those who can't see. Obviously, you're a power lifter and you lift heavy weights. Um, so normally, you wouldn't think of a guy that looks like you as somebody who who also can talk about the spiritual, emotional, uh, and stress-related issues that police officers often find themselves. How'd you do that? Well, to be honest, I went into police work as a spiritual mission because I felt like it was a great way to do ministry and learn about theology and psychology and a great way to serve people in crisis, whether it's the criminals or, you know, the victims. And the whole time I was a cop, I didn't own a TV. I had a mattress on the floor, a bookshelf, a desk with candles, and I had a two to three hour meditation, journaling and contemplative prayer practice, even while I was a cop. So I went into it as a way to serve God And also at that time to try to be somebody that I can tell my buddies like, hey, I can still work patrol in the high crime district. I can still be on SWAT. You know, I was a strength coach at Yale in Georgetown when I was a cop and I was always in shape and I can shoot and fight well. Like I'm somebody you would have wanted, you know, backing you up. But at the same time, it's okay to hug my cop buddies and tell them I love them. And, you know, of course they joke, oh, you and this Jesus stuff. But <laughs> I think there's just more more guys need to model that it's okay to be sentimental, pay attention to your emotional life, have balance, and it doesn't have to be all this macho bullshit. It's just unhealthy because it then makes people around you to say, I can't speak up about what's bothering me because somebody's going to think I'm a P-U-S-S-Y or I'm broken or I'm weak. So I've always been the weirdo, college football power lifter, the police dude that was into meditation and journaling and my faith life. And I love talking to psychologists. I love spiritual direction. I love going on spiritual retreats. It's, it's been a lifestyle for 25 years. Almost seems like there should be more of you uh, that uh, what you offer should be incorporated into every police force and for that matter, the military as well. I would love it if they recruited more retired first responders and veterans to be police chaplains or peer support and to give people a broader training than just the PTSD addiction and suicide reaction to crisis. Because when you do that, you stigmatize cops wanting to talk to the chaplains, the psychs, or the peer support. Because then you're identifying yourself to everybody as somebody that might be broken or weak. So I think we, I mean, I've been preaching this as much as I can the last three years that the resources for cops, first responders, and vets should be much more proactive. Because even when people say wellness, often it's just the reactive mental health stuff. Wellness is developing positive lifestyle habits so you're more resilient to the things you're going to endure. And if you also teach people about their mental, emotional, and spiritual life and give them a toolbox, 
They can use these experiences for post-traumatic growth. There's research on all this. The difficult experiences in life are our emotional and spiritual weightlifting. We can grow in depth and self-knowledge and compassion from these things. And I think naturally, if you've known some cops, firemen, or veterans, there are ones that are healthy that are some of the most interesting, deep, compassionate, and wise people because they have the, the knowledge from the collective experience of the highs and lows of humanity they've had. If they've been able to process them in a healthy manner, you just learn a lot about people. You know, that's preemptive versus reactive. That was the language that you used when I met you as you were delivering coffee to help out some of the, the cops down in the South Bay. Uh, and I thought that was a really great um, synopsis of what we're doing wrong versus what we should be doing in the same way that uh, and you and I agree on this, that the training for um, gun handling, uh, shooting, uh, tactical uh, action in crisis is woefully woefully neglected. I mean, I get more training in hand-to-hand -hand in a week of jujitsu than most cops get an entire year at their precinct. There are exceptions, obviously, but most of them are, are, are really poor at that. And they're even worse at helping with mental health. They wait until after the fact, after the shooting has happened, after they've seen one of their colleagues uh, injured or killed. And then they come and they bring someone out and say, you want to talk about that? But they're not equipped to handle it and process it because they haven't actually been doing the internal work, the meditation, uh, the healthy lifestyle habits, as you said, uh, building a comfort zone with being able to talk about emotional experience. You can't just start doing that after a crisis. You have to learn how to do that. It's just like anything else. You don't you know, learn how to dash after somebody and run uh, at, at, you know, six miles a minute if you haven't actually been jogging for the last year. It just doesn't work. Same thing with the, with the, the emotional side. So I think that the link that you've made, which I found really um, unusual and I think per perhaps even unique, is that you are trying to model the emotional in the same way that people work out and follow the physical and they understand and respect that. And, and so you're making that link. Uh, for the people that you work with and that you volunteer with, which is, I think that makes it very powerful. You, um, you do some work with a group. Uh, it's your group, actually, which is a, a nonprofit organization. And I, I want you to speak more about that and what you've done in the past, what you're hoping to do in the future, and uh, how people can um, get involved or assist you in that. So prior to COVID, we were putting on retreats that were proactive. There's retreats out there for first responders and veterans, but you have to have PTSD, addiction, or suicidal ideation to apply. Then you go get a week of yoga, journaling, meditation, talk to a therapist, small group sharing, nature walks, equine therapy, artwork, all these beautiful things. And you, you'd learn some of the tools that I think we should be teaching in academies and throughout a career. So myself, Dr. John Becknell, Father Jim Clark, Jeremy Wade, Dr. Stephanie McKenney, we were putting on retreats for first responders, you know, two to three years, five years into a career so they can experience and learn these things in an experiential way, putting on retreats. And what I also was planning to do, but it got shut down with COVID and I don't have the funding for is um, this was we we're going to do in San Luis Obispo. Well, that's where we were going to start and call them Pugitsu Peer Support Retreats. We were going to incorporate defensive tactics, tactical firearms, 
and then do some of the self-care, whether that's the yoga, the meditation, the journaling. But you got to do some alpha male stuff so the cops might actually come. And people need to understand that more training in defensive tactics, fitness, and tactical firearms makes you less likely to use force. And when you use force, it's not going to be as ugly. You're far better at de-escalation and community policing. But people don't get just how little training the cops do get. So I would like to put on retreats where they're getting more firearms, defensive tactics, in addition to the self-care, the stress management, and how do you continue to find meaning and purpose throughout your career, even in tough times or through the adversity and the exposure to trauma. How is it received, the ones that you put on so far by the... Uh, like life-changing uh-huh. for people, life-changing. And, it, and it's cool because you actually, at first, it's really hard for people to put their guards down. But if you bring a bunch of alpha male and female cops and firemen together and you put them in a very a nature setting, um, it's kind of beautiful what can happen if you facilitate the retreat in the right way. And I just know, just because of the work I do with Covered Six, which we've discussed that I can shoot guns all day with young veterans transitioning out of the military. And then I can talk about self-care, going to therapy, better life balance. And now they're more open to it because we, we did a bunch of running and gunning all day. And they also respected myself and the other firearms instructor for being older guys that were still fit and could shoot faster than them. For the so audience's some, benefit, uh, let us know what Covered Six is, since not everyone listening is familiar with them. Covered Six is a great company in, here in the Los Angeles area where you can use your GI Bill to be certified in executive protection um, and armed security. And they also do a lot of contract work, like even in Beverly Hills when there's the riots, they hire Covered Six to come in, and it's they're not a police force, but... They're an armed presence that's doing security to try to minimize and deter crime. So it's all veteran and law enforcement owned and uh, just a great company. So they're worth checking out, especially if anybody's interested in armed security and executive protection or they are in this area and they need those services. And what did leadership say after the retreats? Were they supported? Did they see a benefit from their employees and their officers? You know, we never... Like I, Dr. Becknell gets a lot of that feedback from fire departments and uh, paramedic agencies. He gets a ton of positive feedback. But unfortunately, right now, when it comes to these types of things, leadership or management in departments or in cities and counties honestly don't care. They give lip service to wellness or mental health. And they also are not giving enough budgets. People out there should write their politicians, their local, their state even the governor and say, hey, how many hours of defensive tactics does a cop get in the academy? One, how many do they get going on after that annually in service? How much firearms training do they get outside of marksmanship qualifications? So how much tactical shooting do they get? Shooting and moving, shooting around a vehicle, shooting in the dark. How much do they get of that in the academy and then annually in in-service? What are the fitness standards for the agency? Do they have any? Do they have a gym or do they give them a gym membership and do they cover them working out on duty? These are all questions people should be asking their city council, the county board and say, we want higher standards for hiring and training in the academy and we want our officers getting regular and ongoing defensive tactics 
tactical firearms and having fitness standards because you're going to get a way better quality service. And for the officer's sake, they're going to have better mental, emotional, and spiritual health because they're going to make less mistakes on the street. They're going to be more confident. They're going to de-escalate better. And they're going to have less baggage from things that go sideways. Now, Matt, a lot of this, though, is uh, it's, it's complicated and it's political. So sheriff's departments are funded by the local city council uh, or the board of supervisors. And a lot of the police officer training is, um, is union-based. So the unions negotiate a lot of these things, you know, how much training, et cetera. And also post uh, covers standards for what police officers and sheriff's deputies are required to, uh, to qualify for. So it's not quite so simple as just asking questions, but you're right, it's important. And too often the upper brass is focused on uh, the latest equipment and uh, getting the board of supervisors to fund their department and how many officers during budget cuts as uh, different cities and municipalities are looking to save money, not spend more money, especially as it comes to police. Well, here, like so post in California, the rule, they're the, it's four hours of defensive tactic for the people out there. Four hours of martial arts every two years. Yeah. <laughs> Who can learn or maintain martial arts skills with four hours every two years? You know, I, I know, uh, you, you know, I'm, uh, as we talked about, I'm a, I'm a reserve in a local law enforcement agency. And uh, we have perishable skills training. And when we do arrest and control techniques, and I think it's, it's every year, um, you know, it's a, it's a two or three hour course. And we're always told, listen, this isn't designed to teach you everything you need to know. It's to give you the basics, but then it's up to you to continue to train. And there is a weapons qualification that we're supposed to do on a periodic basis, but it's never put forward as only do this and you don't have to do anything else. But for a while, we were limited on the amount of ammunition that we could use during training and so forth because of budget. And ammunition is very expensive. And, uh, for, and fortunately, the, the local sheriff changed that and said, no, you, it's unlimited. I want you guys going in and shooting as often as possible. And they set up real life scenarios for us where they'd put like a beat up old car, have a shoot around a car and different barriers. And, uh, and they'd change it up all the time. But nonetheless, it was still at the discretion of the officer to do the time and to spend the time and to train. It wasn't built into the, uh, to the department's training. It wasn't mandated where you had to go once a week or twice a week. It was really up to each, each and every deputy or officer to make the time and actually do that themselves. Now, maybe it should be institutionalized, and I think it should, uh, because people tend to lean towards the path of least resistance and they're really busy with their work and they have to go work a patrol shift or work at the jail or whatever they're doing and they're tired and they just don't take the time to do that extra step to go by the range to get the extra training and that really does need to be institutionalized as part of their job description uh, physical fitness training as part of their job description. They have to meet a certain standard. They can't be the stereotypic fat cop at the donut shop um, or they can, can't continue to work. So I agree with you that policing and training and the academy needs to be revamped 
um, and not just limited to the academy, but limited to veteran officers uh, to make sure that they're training and keeping up their skills um, in addition to all the mental health stuff that you're talking about. Um, I think more and more there's an awareness of mental health issues and life balance as we see suicide rates and uh, uh, police dying in the line of duty and less uh, folks wanting to go into policing and so forth. I think they, it, they're going to be they're going to have to do something different or they're not going to get good people to go into the police force and sign up for the academies uh, if it's a very stressful job and they can count on getting divorced or worse. Uh, that nobody's going to want to become a cop. Oh, the there used to be something like for every opening for a cop, there would be at least 300 applications. And now people have to beg. When you de- dehumanize police and you bash them, the media and the politicians are bashing, you were discouraging people from applying, as well as constantly charging cops with crimes for use of force. It's, yeah. I mean, I've seen billboards in Orange County recruiting cops to lateral from one department to another with a big bonus if they, you know, if they switch from one department because they're having such difficulty maintaining staffing. Yeah. So, I mean, the people out there that complained about police are bad, police don't do their jobs right, defunding or police reform or discouraging good people from wanting to be cops does nothing but lower the bar more and more and more. While Things are more violent than ever. People feel entitled to resist arrest, to not comply. You have the communities that are filming and screaming at cops while they're doing their jobs. Nobody else. There's no other profession. Do they let people in your doctor's offices scream and yell at you when you're doing your work? Film you, you know, and then critique the heck out of you and say, hey, wear a camera so I can listen to everything you say at work. Yeah. The amount of stress these guys got is ridiculous. Yeah, it really is. You told me a a really great story, simple but effective, which would answer the question that I think a lot of our listeners are asking themselves, which is other than just, you know, being politically active and and writing petitions and letters on a personal one-on-one in the moment, opportunistic basis, what can they do to help support the police and to make them feel not just accepted and respected, but actually um, uh, valued in their community. If you remember what it was you told me, uh, say it again. And if you don't, then I'll prompt you. Because I thought it was great when I Well, I do want to say that cops told me, if you asked me that question, they wanted to beg the people out there to vote appropriately, not based on party lines, and don't vote for anybody that's ever been part of supporting BLM, defund, <laughs> or police reform. Or George Gascon. So that's one, but yeah. So wave at cops when you see them. Wave at them, give them a thumbs up. If you see them in person, thank them for their service. If you can try to buy their, you know, pay for their coffee or meal if you see them in public. And then whatever your own words, just tell them, hey, I really appreciate what you're doing, and I don't buy the bull crap of the media and politicians. Please know that people believe in you guys and appreciate the work you're doing. So just even thanking them. And then if you can donate things to stations, whether that's water or food or whatever, like gift cards. Like when there's people in certain communities that will walk up to a cop and give them a $10 coffee or sandwich shop gift card. And the look on the cop's faces, because when people approach cops now... They pucker up because they're like, am I going to get ambushed? Am I going to get MF'd? 
Am I going to get filmed and they're going to try to bait me into an encounter? And when somebody comes up and says, thank you and hands you a gift card, when that person walks away, I see their blood pressure drop. Hmm. I don't know how many points and like the tension melt away from them and be like, well, thank God somebody still supports us. I mean, it is huge for people in the community to just verbally thank the officers and or try to give them gifts or see if whatever police stations in your area, can you drop off food and just in case they're paranoid, do food that's packaged in a way that they know you didn't mess with it. Like some police departments get no donations and that's why for the, say, some cops that work one of the South LA areas, there's about five departments and I'm with one of the stations there. I try to get them free coffee beans, free coffee grounds, protein shakes, energy drinks, books from authors that are on mental health, fitness, nutrition, or warrior type stuff. And man, they they act like I gave them gold for giving them a freaking coffee drink or something because nobody supports you know, them. Matt, Matt that's there. a great idea. And I know when I was on the uh, Los Alamitos Unified School Board, um, we, we made an effort to reach out to our local police department and we uh, we encompass three different departments, Orange County Sheriff's Department, Seal Beach Police Department, and Los Alamitos Police Department. And we set up our schools to have a room where the cop could come by, uh, sit down for a few minutes, get caught up on paperwork, have coffee and some snacks in a clean restroom. And we invited them into the school, both because we cared about them and we wanted the police presence on our campus so the kids would be comfortable, they would see a police officer there. You could do the same with your business. If you have a restaurant or any kind of a store and you make it known that police officers are welcome there, that they can have a cup of coffee, that there's a clean restroom for them to use, that you have Wi-Fi, for example, or an office or a desk where they can sit down for 15 minutes and get caught up on paperwork, it's a win-win. Now you've get the, you get the security of a police officer um, and you get to say thank you at the same time, and it's uh, it's very much appreciated. Absolutely. Did I hit on whatever I said? You did exactly Mark? that and more. And, and I thought it was such a great example because it's. I even asked you. I said, "Does that really matter? I mean, do, do they really care?" And you said, "Absolutely. It's not just that they're like, oh, that's great, but they they feel, as you said, relieved, grateful because they swim in this sea of." All that they see in here is, I hate you, I hate you, you're a racist, you're an abuser. I mean, to some degree, we're, we're getting this as doctors now, you know, as physicians, uh, because there's a small number of people that, that really go after us. And that's the same thing with the police. Most people don't dislike the police, but the ones that speak out are the ones that are nasty and mean and cruel. And the rest of us, you know, we do respect them, we do value them, but we don't go out and say it. And, and, and that really makes a difference. And the fact that, that you know that it does because you've seen them and spoken to them personally and you've done it yourself, uh, that was a very powerful message. And I, I wanted you to share that so that people could hear it. Good, good. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. So whoever's out there, if there's really a silent majority, and the surveys do say that most of America supports police. Yeah. But if you're watching TV or looking on the Internet or listening to any politician you would think otherwise. So the anti-policers are extremely vocal and they've taken over a lot of our schools and and colleges. And so the message gets pushed out and it's very damaging. So yeah. silent majority, step up, thank the cops in your area, donate things to them. 
ask if they have an association. Is there anything you can do to assist? Maybe even helping them get more defensive tactics, fitness equipment, buy them ammo or <laughs> help them get more training. <laughs> Here's a case of ammo, officer. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You know, it's, it's funny from, from time to time, you know, patients will give me gifts, something that they made, uh, uh, something that they cooked or a bottle of wine. I've got quite a few patients that will bring me in a, a box of ammo, some nine millimeter or 380 <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and it's always, it's always funny. It's, it's very much appreciated because ammo is expensive and uh, they know I'm going to use it and probably more so than a bottle of wine. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, t can, can you be specific about the organization, the charity, websites, names that, that you can get out there and we can put on our links uh, uh, for this show so that people can uh, reach out to you and offer assistance? Yeah, please go to tacticalchaplain.com. It's as simple as that, tacticalchaplain.com. And there's a tab for how you can help because it's even beyond just financial donations. But honestly, the I need help financially even to make ends meet living in Los Angeles because I work full-time, completely unpaid and for free, and my pension from the East Coast is not enough to keep up with everything out here. But there's other ways to help support the workshops, the retreats. Also, if you have a company or you're an author, if you have any products or services that you could offer up, if you have a property that we could host retreats or workshops at, like a ministry in Missouri is going to every year, we did it last year, paid for a free fishing and clay pigeon shooting retreat in Missouri and they bought the plane tickets and brought the cops out with me and that was amazing so if somebody's in California with the property in Big Bear or Mammoth and they'd let us do retreats like there if you have a coffee or a protein company send me some stuff to give them I mean so tacticalchaplain.com it has my mission my bio it has a ton of interviews I've done speaking about a lot of issues and police work beyond what we've talked about tonight um and yeah, that's the simplest thing. And I'm part of Global Associates. The link for donating will take you to globalassociates.org. And I'm an affiliate with them, basically an ordained missionary. And my missionary field is primarily police, but more broadly, all first responders and also veterans. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your service uh, to officers um, and the work that you do. I think it's important work, and I hope more people like you will step up and provide their services to law enforcement agencies to help them stay healthy, be more effective, and, uh, and ultimately overall help the profession. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.